Welcome to the Contracting Handbook Podcast, a podcast for how to run a small contracting company. Whether you're a general contractor like me or a trade contractor, starting fresh or been in business for years, here's all the stuff you never knew you'd have to know before you started your contracting business with the man who's seen it all, your host, Mike Kenoki. That's me. Hey everybody, it's Mike and I'm back again with the Contracting Handbook and today I want to welcome a man with a reputation for being an excellent manager and craftsman in his community with extensive hands-on experience leading up to his founding of Earth Tone Construction in the North Bay area of California. Uh, I'd like to welcome President and Founder Andy Bannister. Thanks for being on Andy. Thank you Mike, nice to meet you. Uh, I really love your guys' work. Uh, I've been seeing some of the the, the work Andy's Andy's work on Instagram and uh, and his crew. And Andy, I see that you founded Earth Tone in 1998. Uh, it looks like it's a lot bigger now than it was then. So, what what did the company look like in back then? Huh. Uh, well, like most contractors uh, that start out, it was just me and. Uh, Pretty soon got a helper and a person in the office. But uh, for a couple of years, it just kind of, you know, puttered along like that, taking on projects, never sort of uh, just growing organically. Um, very small, very owner operating, uh, operated type business like you would typically see. And and fast forwarding to today, how many employees do you have in the in the company now? Uh, right now we have 67. We're down from uh, a high of I think 72 uh, last or beginning before pre-COVID. That's a that's a lot of that's a lot of heads. Um, so what what kind of is the breakdown of that? Um, you've got it's a design build firm, so you've got architects, engineers. Um, what yeah, what actually, kind of the structure me- look like? Yeah, let me correct correct you a little bit. Sorry, we're not a design build firm. I think people get that impression because of the imagery we post on Instagram. Uh, we collaborate with a lot of designers uh, and architects, but we don't really do that much in house other than problem solving. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, somebody will ask us, you know, hey, can you detail out a uh, tenant improvement or a little uh, a little remodel? But mostly, we leave that to the experts. Um, so we're mostly, uh, we're about 15 staff in the office. That's mostly project managers, project engineers, and then admin staff. And then uh, we have about uh, eight to 10 foreman superintendent types out in the field. And uh, the rest are carpenters and, and laborers. So we self-perform a lot of work. Great. And how, uh, you know, when you made this expansion into having that many employees what are what are the kind of key components that that made that work for you yeah you know that's uh that's interesting we, we didn't really sort of make an expansion we it just sort of grew uh this whole thing has been very organic um we've um you know ebbed and flowed with with the recession back in 08 uh we stayed in business um we actually managed to thrive pretty fast um and uh, the, the whole growth has been, like I say, super organic. But uh, I think the thing that's 
that's really strong in our company is our culture. I know that's a word that's used a lot and there's a lot of lip service to culture and a lot of lip service to values, but our values are so strong. They're deeply embedded in our employees' uh, psyche. And uh, so the so the growth is sort of organic in terms of uh, employees want to work here. They want to be part of this. They want to be part of the story. And consequently, our clients and customers want to be part of it too. They want to have stuff built by uh, guys that love coming to work that are passionate in their craft and enjoy what they do. And I think, that, you know, having those values has really been been the key uh, and just mainly attaining that. And I think you see, you know, sorry not to go off, but it's kind of a, a, a pet project of mine. Like I'm constantly working on this. How do we how do we make sure that as we grow that those foundational values stay as our as our focus and every decision that we make is based on those values? Because I think that's when you get stuck is when you don't follow those, you let those things go by the wayside. Yeah. And I think as, as, as companies grow and get, and people get busier, it is really easy to let a lot of things go. Health values. You just kind of, yeah. Just trying to finish projects and, and, yeah. and, and, and it gets really challenging. Uh, I'm curious, uh, you kind of piqued my interest thinking back to 2008. How did that, how many people did you have back then and, and what kind of, how did that, how'd you pull out of that? Because I, I personally, I was, I didn't have employees then. So I, yeah. I, I skated through that pretty, you know, I just went a different direction with jobs, but yeah, you know, for a larger firm or for a larger company, it seems like the challenges would be much greater. Yeah. I'm trying to remember how many employees we had. We had, uh, we certainly weren't this size. Uh, but we had an office and we had um, a couple of office staff. I think we had three or four in the office and uh, maybe 10 guys out in the field. Um, and we had some, you know, even though the housing market was just kind of crashing all around our ears, right? I mean, it's just kind of traumatic to start talking about it. But we had some jobs that were so, still sort of committed and uh, the, the clients were committed to maintaining, you know, what they were doing. Um, so that sort of kept us at bay for a little bit. And we had, we're the kind of contractor that doesn't like take the cash. Okay, we've made some money. Let's go spend it and buy boats and cars and airplanes and all the other things that a lot of contractors do. We've always been stay humble, stay humble, you know, just stay, keep, keep it low key. So we had some cash and um, we kept people going where we could, finding them little jobs. Um, I think we lent some guys out to another firm that had some framing work and uh, we did some little side jobs, figured out for guys. Um, but, you know, it, it, it sort of dragged on a little bit. And I think there was a point where we said, you know, it sort of feels like this is forever, but it's not. And we have to remember that. And we have to, we have to paint an image of Earth Tone that is successful, regardless of what's happening around us. And so we took this huge, broad, um, brave leap. and said, let's rent another office space that's bigger and let's put our money that we have into remodeling it and making our space so that when we, the recession is over, because it will be over, we'll have this presence. And um, so we're in this squirrely little office behind uh, Screaming Mimi's in Sebastopol, uh, sorry, uh, the, the yogurt place in Sebastopol. And um, we took this place on the plaza, which was double the square footage. And uh, we got we got to work and and I think 
the, the neighborhood kind of saw us and they're like, everybody else was closing their doors. And here we were just like, nope, we're in this for the long haul. We're going to be around. And uh, some folks that wanted to build a house, there's a couple of people wanted to build a house. They came in, knocked on our door and said, hey, we want to build a house. Can you guys do it for us? We know that the market's, you know, not great right now, but maybe we can take advantage of some uh, some good pricing. I'm like, sure. And uh, we just went for it. And we found a way to just thrive out of that, uh, out of that thing. You know, maybe it's part luck, part charm, part bravery, but we got through it. Well, fortune favors the brave, doesn't it? Um, I think so. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for sharing that story. That, that is bold. It was bold to, to do that. And, uh, <clears throat> and it worked out. Yeah, the, the with recessions and and all that sort of thing, I I always think that people should in the construction is just stay focused and because it will pass and there will be more work, and then in these days there's a shortage of contractors and there's shortage of workers, so there's always yeah. something. Well, by the same token, even in times like this when it's really busy and and things are going well we have to remember that it's not always going to be like this, right? And so we have mm -hmm. to save for that rainy day. And I think that's where, you know, I see a lot of contractors fail. I watched a lot of my friends struggle through that recession because they had gone out and bought the big house and, you know, spent their money and taken the profits. The profits are there for your people. That's what you need to leave them in the company as much as you can so that when there are rough times, you can, you can weather it. Excellent advice. Um, Okay, so I'm going to kind of move into some talking about expectations. So I'm a residential contractor and understand the emotion attached to the home and the associated money. And the scope and size of a custom build can change rapidly. And the contractor needs to not only manage the process, but those expectations. So how do you kind of deal with that as a project goes on with your clients? Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? I mean, when you're dealing with somebody's home, that's like super intimate and uh, it's not like a commercial project. So you're right. You have to, um, you, you obviously, you know, we always wear like transparency and communication. Um, but again, it's got to be, it's got to be real and authentic. And I think for us, and I'm sure you do the same thing, Mike, it's got to start right at the beginning, like the minute you meet those contract, meet those clients. Um so the, the first thing that we do is if we're asked to provide a budget for a client, we tell them right up front, look, hey, we're not going to try to be competitive here because it's going to do a disservice to, you know, your project. We're going to price the project and what the project needs, not what's drawn on the plans. We're not going to, you know, give you low ball numbers just to get you in the door. And we're probably not going to be the cheapest at the budget stage. Um, we'll be very competitive at bid stage, but at, at budget stage, we, we want to give you a tool. And I think clients re respect that. It's hard for them to swallow because it's often where the bears of bad news, especially when, you know, you're dealing with a lot of price increases. And so expectations are different. Um, but I think just being transparent up front, you know, hey, here's your house. But, you know, what's not drawn on here is you need a fire pump, you need a tank. You know, we've got to put all this infrastructure in. We're going to have to widen the driveway. It needs to be paved because it's more than this grade and so on and so forth. And lay all those things out so that we're covering all their bases. So when the client has that tool, they know what they're getting into. And we have to continue that transparency and honesty, even though that honesty can be really difficult. 
you know, to, to tell them some bad news. It can be, it can be hard. We've got to be upfront with them and be in front of it right from the beginning and all the way through the project. I think that's an important part, you know, developing that level of trust with them. I agree with that. And, uh, it's, that's a really interesting point that you're, that you're telling them right from the start. You're not going to, you probably won't be the, the low number, but you got to give an honest number. Yeah. And I, I, I would say that in, in my experience with my clients, they'll say, you know, so-and-so said they're going to build me this house for, for this much a square foot. And I said, well, I know that my number is higher, but I guarantee when it's done, if you go with them, it's going to be what I said it was. Yeah. Because, because the budgets they gave you are unrealistic for you yeah. for, for the, for certain things. Like the budgets are set so low that you are going to want something more expensive for these things, even though you said yeah. you wanted a budget house. Yeah. And have you ever, have you ever done a, have you ever lost a job and then found out later that your price was right in the end? I mean, that's Absolutely. happened to me a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've yeah, had, I had people. Long... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was, I was going to say I've had people say, you know, I wish I we had hired you. We went with the yeah. other number because it was cheaper, and it was what you said, and and they didn't really have a great time with their contractor. Yeah, yeah, this happened to me many times. I actually had a conversation with a guy that didn't go with us, and it wasn't a big job. It was it was a remodel, uh, an addition, and everything. And he said, uh, he, he called me up and he said, I wish I'd gone with you. He said, you know, this guy, he, he changed ordered me on everything. He changed ordered me this retaining wall that was, you know, this so big. And I said, you know, I remember you and I remember your job. And I remember that retaining wall. I had it in my budget. Did you not see it? And he goes, you did? And I said, yeah, I had that retaining. It was like a $60,000 retaining wall. I said, I had that in there because I told you you needed it. But I think that the risk is, and we do a pretty detailed budget. So our budgets are often, you know, 20 pages like even though on a, on a preliminary uh budget the, the risk is people always want to look at the bottom line right what's that bottom number and yeah. so we've learned and i'm sure you know this too it's like you got to walk it through with them and sort of explain it it doesn't do them any good to just send it to them i agree with that as well i i i like to sit down with them and read mm -hmm. and basically almost read it word for word so people understand yeah. because people it's a, it's incredible how often people do not really look at the contract. They don't look at anything. They just, yeah. they see the heading and they go right to the bottom line yeah. and everything in between is whatever. Um, which is yeah. fascinating because it's so much money and they're so attached. They're so attached to that money. And I get that. Uh, but don't we do that? Like, if you're buying a car, don't you just go straight to that? What's this going to cost me? And then we sort of like look at the other stuff afterwards, right? Yeah. Then you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. We're all, we're all our own worst enemies. That's a, yeah, that's a good analogy. Um, okay. Since the subject came up, how do you guys deal with change orders? Because this change orders, I think, is one of the most challenging parts of being a contractor because at first we don't do them. Yeah. And then we, we, then we try to approach, how to do them. Yeah. And then, you know, then you actually have a method to deal with the, with the, with your client, but it takes people a long time to get there. And a lot of, it, it's hard when to pull the trigger on whether it's the change order, whether it's a big deal, whether you should charge for it. So here we go. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a good, that's a good, good topic. So I think that what's, there's many types of change orders, right? So there's this, there's the, the change orders where they, you bid, you know, a, a $30 tile and they suddenly decide to want to change it to a, you know, a $50 tile or they want to upgrade someone or add a, or add a whole wing. <laughs> there's that sort of owner driven stuff, but there's the stuff that comes up that's unforeseen. Like you just, there's no way you could predict it. And I think what's important is, again, it goes back to the beginning about being honest uh, and transparent in the budget. So we put a contingency in there. We put a, we put a number in. We know what our typical change orders run on a project because they do happen. Let's not, let's not fool ourselves. Change orders come up. You know, you, you get the geotechnical consultant comes out and says, I need you to go two more feet. Well, how do you know that? There's no way, there's no way to know that. Um, so we, we put a contingency in the project. We, we tell them up front, it's like, this is your bucket of money that you're going to need because things are going to come up. And guess what? If they don't come up, you don't have to spend that. You get it back. And I think that's really helpful for people is just having that like little insurance policy in, the, in, the, in their back pocket and knowing that, you know, they're covered if things do occur. And I mean, we've had all kinds of things happen, especially with dirt. You, you know how hard it is to get out of the dirt sometimes. You know, you find some weird soil or, you know, something that's been buried there that has to be dug up and recompacted or worse, import soil or lime tree or something like that. You got you to gotta sort of have a bucket of money for that stuff. The change orders that the client generates, they're sort of like, you know, they know they're going to happen. And, you know, if they, if they don't, they're usually in denial. So, but the, again, it comes back to that transparency. Hey, you're picking out something that's more than your budget. Uh, we had an allowance for this, just a heads up, we'll price it for you, but we want you to be the driver of this. So if it turns out to too much money, you have the choice to accept it or not accept it. Rather than doing the work, so many contractors will do the work and come back to them and go, yeah, that was an extra you know, 5,000 bucks for that tile. That's a surprise to the client. Just be upfront, be transparent, even if it's difficult. And then in cases where they maybe change the square footage of the footprint of the house while the, while the concrete guys are setting their forms, you know, then they get charged for the change order and the time and materials it took everybody involved. To yeah. change that because you just you know changed everybody's schedule right down the chain absolutely yeah there's a, there's there's the cost that they don't foresee they think they're you know they think they're adding something easy but they don't realize that there's some you know maybe there's more mobilization because we got to bring the dirt guy back you know maybe we've got to um you know do all these things it's just again it's about being up front with them okay, you want to, you want to change the square footage? Let's just have a quick conversation about this, about what you're getting into before we pull the trigger so that, mm -hmm. you know, and we're all on the same page again, yeah. just communication. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like to have that change order conversation mm -hmm. when we're signing a contract to really mm -hmm. like give them examples. If you did yeah. this, you know, this is the, this is the chain of events that occurs when you change something yeah. in my world and all yeah. my subcontractors world. Yeah. So, cause I can only call in so many favors to my subcontractors. Exactly. Yeah. And we're doing it all the time, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, okay. So that's the, you know, the residential side. I don't do any commercial work. I've done a tiny bit, but nothing to, 
nothing that, that moves the needle. So, you know, in terms of the difference between, cause you guys do commercial work too. You're, you're, you're building wineries, mm -hmm. you're building, um, and, and there's not as much, there's not as much personal effect on it uh, from the client side, but there's a lot of custom detail. I'm looking at some of the work you do and there's a lot of custom yeah. detail. Um, so there's a fair amount of expect, uh, manage, expectation management there. So who's engaging those clients? You must have like, because you've got a large number of projects going on, you know, you must have a good person to, um, to do that for you. I mean, unless it's just you, but it, you've got to have other people. And so as, mm -hmm. as a proxy. Oh you, yeah, no, and, definitely. And, We've, yeah. So how is that for you? I mean, you, you, you have to really trust someone to go to those clients and represent you and your company comfortably in, in, in dealing with anything that comes up. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, ha I'm, listen, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the team that's around me. These, the people that work with me, um, it's, a, it's such a privilege to get to work with these amazing folks at Earthon. Um, and uh, the staff in the office, the project managers I have, the project engineers, my operations director, Jesse Tabaka, and my uh, vice president, uh, Zach Dow, so just all awesome people that believe what I believe. Um, and that's why they're here, right? So they are all on the same mission. It goes back to that culture and values. They're here because they believe in those values. And I think it, it's just, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to hold somebody accountable and have those expectations that they're going to manage and run and deal with the clients and the, and the product and, the, and their trade partners and employees the same way I would treat them. Um, so yeah, I mean, I haven't, it's, it's hard. It's, it, it, I'm kind of a control freak. It, it was very difficult at first to give up some of that control, but it's like all things, once you see that it's working and you have faith that the person is fulfilling what you want to be fulfilled, um, you get there and, uh, you, you, you can take more of a hands-off approach. I mean, I have to say, I stick my nose into everything. Like, why are we doing this? Ask questions. You know, why are we doing this? What's this? Uh -huh. What's that? You know, just a curiosity, right? Just to make sure. And I sometimes, you know, occasionally I'll get an answer I don't like and I'll question it and they'll defend it. It's all good. It's not perfect, though. You know, I mean, you know that. I mean, this is go, goes back to a thing I always tell clients, too, right? It's, construction's not perfect. You know, especially with building a house or building something custom, whether it's commercial or residential. You know, it's not like when you go buy a Tesla, right? You go buy or any car, right? Somebody's opened and closed that door on that car 10,000 times in a factory to see if it's going to squeak, right? You know, they've tested everything. How's it going to act in this kind of wind? How's it going to act on this kind of road? Uh, how's it going to act with the passenger doing this, or the driver doing that? We don't get to do that with a, with a project, right? We get to have the client be the guinea pig and test it out. Sure, we've put that HVAC system in in 100 houses, but nobody's put it in in this house with the rooms in this format and the air intake like this. So we don't know what's going to do. And uh, so that's why I say it's not perfect, but.
but we just strive to get it as damn close to right as we can and then take care of it if it's not. Yeah, every house is, every every job is different. Nothing's the yeah. same, so it's, it, it can't be perfect, uh, but as close as possible. Yeah. And wood moves. Our, our, the materials we we use move they change yeah with the season yeah so and co- and concrete cracks right yeah mm-hmm. it cracks yeah, yeah i gotta yeah. tell everybody that it's gonna crack yeah yeah exactly it's okay this is normal yeah it's fine it's fine <laughs> it's it's part of the character of your house now yeah uh awesome so yeah what do you you know and i think we're all definitely control freaks as yeah. a contractor and and then as you mature as a contract you learn to let go yeah because if you don't learn to let go you're just going to be a one-man show yeah exactly it has to you have to. you're absolutely right um and then in terms of commercial versus residential you know i would just imagine it's a different sense when when someone comes to you and says, Hey, we want you to build a winery route, you know, out here for us versus someone mm-hmm. who says, I want a custom home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what is that? Can you give me a sense of what the difference is to you? Yeah. I mean, obviously we talked about, you know, how intimate building a home is. I have to say that some of the commercial projects, if you're doing a tasting room, there's a lot of crossover into a residential project. It's often somebody's dream to have, you know, a, this, a great place to tell their story for their business. Mm-hmm. Their work becomes, their work is as important as their, um, as their home life. And so you do get um, some of that emotional attachment. It is a little different, as you say. I think the other thing that you, you see often, you see this with residential too, is the architect will have an agenda, you know, where they want their vision executed and uh, so you still get that same challenge, like their vision mm. of the architect may not align with the client's budget. And so, so we sort of have to create this balance and navigate that line because we want architects on our side. We love architects. They do a great job of designing. We don't want to hurt their feelings either. And, you know, they may have some something that they've been trying to, you know, get out and have like, a you know, kind of a thing that... Uh, <laughs> that all these people go and wine tasting get to see. Yeah. Um, so there's a balance. It's, it's constantly, it's, it's a constant game of psychology. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, the working with architects and the, and the, the difference in the vision for budget yeah. between what they tell the client, they think it's going to be, and then coming to us and we're like, um, yeah. it's going to be twice what they said yeah so, yeah let's just get that on the table yeah it's it's fun stuff yeah. um okay so we've touched on some expectation management um what do you what do you do once clients are under contract to continue that um to, to, to make sure that along the way their expectations are being met, they're, they're, they're in the know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I, I like to once a week kind of give them an update. It's daily at the beginning, mm -hmm. you know, when the house is being framed, when con concrete, because people are so excited right then, because they've been asking you every day for two weeks when the pores start, when the concrete guys are coming, when the, you know, when the dirt works yeah. gonna be done, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. so it's, uh, you're, then it's all fired up. But then once you're going, all of a sudden there's a day when there's no one at their house. And they're like, yeah. why isn't there anyone here? And you're like, well, they'll be there, you know, but one day is not a big deal. Or when they're waiting for the drywaller to come, because the drywaller is always, you know, they're coming when they're coming. And everything, all your walls have been roughed in, all your, all your plumbing and electrical mechanicals done insulation and they're and the inspections happen and they're waiting so how do you deal with how do you deal with that end of it yeah i think you um you, you spoke to a little bit right there and we've talked about it before it's just about communication again uh, we do we do weekly updates too you're right you know the framing part is this stuff moving so fast people want to know we uh, uh we use procore construction management software so we um we just adopted that this year. We were doing everything manually before. So we have a site where all the photographs, like there's tons of photographs get uploaded on uh, a couple times a week. Um, we do the weekly update. We do a two week look ahead schedule that's tied to our master schedule. Um, we call it a short interval schedule as some people call it so that the client knows who's gonna be on site every day for the next two weeks. And that's a rolling two mm -hmm. weeks, right? So it's always updated. That helps them, you know, if they have a question. And I have to say, our jobs are, I get it sometimes, you know, there's nobody at the site, but our jobs are so complex. There's always stuff going on. It seems like even in that kind of weird time when the, just the electrician and the plumber are there, there's so much going on on the outside. We're like forming up, you know, all the outdoor kitchen stuff or the hardscape or we're working on decks or siding or whatever it is. It seems like we don't really often have a job when we're waiting for, uh, you know, the next phase. Um, it, you know, the COVID thing aside when, you know, we, we had some delays with windows, things like that. But anyway, there's always stuff going on. And I think just the, the clients have that comfort knowing that what to expect, right? So two-week look-ahead schedule, the weekly update, photographs, all that stuff. That, uh, that look ahead schedule sounds great because it saves you yeah. time because people are texting and calling and they can yeah. just look online. Well, we found you can't really manage a project very well. If you just work off the master schedule, if you, you got to drive, you have to be in a driver's seat with a project, right. For it to be successful. Otherwise the project's going to drive you. So if you use the two week, it could be a three week, whatever. It's just a short interval schedule. You're planning it out. Your superintendent, your foreman, or if it's you on the job, you should know what's going to be happening. So it's Monday, the 19th of July right now. I need to know what's going to happen. I need to know, and my client should know what's going to happen next Wednesday, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's going to help your subs. It's, they're going to, they know what to expect. We can hold everybody accountable. So. Um kind of moving into another area here. Uh, I see that you're committed to building responsibly with regard to the environment. And, you know, as a builder, I struggle with the massive amount of waste created in our industry uh, as just one oh. part of that, you know, and, and yeah. 
you know, it's always, I, I don't know if it's my inner, my grandmother not letting us waste anything uh, when I was a kid, whatever it is, I, I struggle with it a lot. But then, you know, with, with regard to building responsibly, uh, I just ask for your company, what does that look like? You, you know, you're right. It's building a home, building anything is, has a huge carbon footprint. And uh, to us, I mean, I, you know, I started this company in 1998. The, the green building back then was, you know, folks building with used tires and was super hippie. And uh, I never wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be the guy that, that still brought that sort of professional um, process oriented um, systems oriented uh, thing to construction, but, and have it look cool and sharp and not be, you know, tires filled with earth. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but it's a, it's a battle for me. We, there was also a lot of greenwashing going on. You know, everybody's using the term green, sustainable, this, sustainable, that. And you start examining the, the products and you find that actually, no, they're not that sustainable. This, you know, this, yes, it has this. It's maybe it's fast growing, but it's shipped from across the other side of the world. And the people that harvest it are under terrible circumstances. And it's a constant balance, right? It's a constant compromise. So I use the term mindful building. I adopted that pretty early on because I didn't want to just look at the materials um, that we were using. I didn't want to just look at the impact we we're having on the earth. Of course, we want to do everything we can uh, substitute where we can for, for, for better products, healthier products. But I always felt that it needed to go beyond just the materials and the systems that we needed to be socially responsible too. that. We needed to look at how we treat our employees where our employees are driving from, are they getting good benefits? Where are our subcontractors coming from? Um, are they commuting miles? What's their quality of life? I wanted our impact to have, I wanted our systems and our, our process to have an impact across multiple um, fingers of, the, of, of social responsibility beyond just green building. Um, and so what we do is, I mean, we build all kinds of homes. We've built straw bale. We've built rammed earth. Uh, we've done a lot of SIPs work, structural insulated panels. Um, but we're constantly looking at what makes sense here. And the other thing I will say is if it's so ridiculously expensive, to me, that's not sustainable. You know, I mean, if you if you got a siding that's super green and, and is uh, um, sustainably harvested and is used with all the right materials and finishes, but it's, you know, 5X the price so that it's out of reach of most people. We got to do better. That's not going to work. We got to find something that's, that's affordable and makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's incredible how far things have come in, in the last 20 years. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of what we, what we can do. And, and uh, we haven't talked about solar yet but you know i live in a place where solar was a, just a joke 20 years ago no one ever thought we'd be able to you know use solar thermal to heat a house yeah. in, in in the winter here you know where, where we've got four hours of light in the winter and uh mm -hmm. but it's been you know that 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 uh 
heat it was produced in the shoulder season and is carrying that house through until February when maybe there's a month when maybe there's a month where they're burning fossil fuel to 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 bring that that base heat back up you know for your shower you know your your uh your uh, on-demand heater kicks on and Mm -hmm. brings that water up temperature for your slab and and domestic hot water but uh you know, 20 years ago, that wasn't even considered. And, and now it's actually becoming within reach to do it on a house that has the right aspect, that has the right aspect and, and uh, angle to the sun where I live, mm-hmm. um, where people are actually beginning to invest in that too, which is, which is uh, I haven't done one yet, but where I, where I live, I'm going to. Yeah, um, that's, exci- that's exciting. Good to hear. Yeah. Uh, but I also see that you guys, you know... Thanks for listening today. Go ahead and email me if you want to be on the show or want to tell me what you like or don't like about it at my email, info at thecontractinghandbook.com. And this is where I say, if you have not subscribed, please subscribe wherever you source your podcast. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. Later.